Hey everybody, welcome to the Crypto Basic Podcast. I'm Brent Philbin and I'm here to bring you another Crypto Convo interview. Today we have a fellow podcaster, one of the best in the business. If you look at his group of interviews, you will see some awesome people on there. He's interviewed everybody from Mark Carpellis, the guy who stole all the money on Mt. Gox or however you want to picture that. To apparently, we found out in the interview the uh, the creator of Spank Chain. So he's he's got lots of different episodes there. What Bitcoin did is his podcast name, and he came on the show to have a little chat with me about podcasting and crypto and some other stuff in between. So check it out; it's coming up now. If Craig is Satoshi, then he lost his private keys. Is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me on. It's, it's a real pleasure. Yeah, we, we skipped over the cool intro for you because we just fired up and started talking. Yeah, man. Um, let me, uh, in case I do a bad job in the uh, the pre-interview role that I'll record, do you want to tell anybody anything that we should know? Like, who are you? What do you want us to know? <laughs> uh, there's not much to say. I mean, what do you want to know? My name's Peter. I have a Bitcoin predominantly bitcoin podcast um i'm just done episode 90 which uh it's been a hell of a ride i i I didn't start it out with any real purpose and i've been fortunate enough to travel the world and meet and interview some amazing people i mean the car palace one you you listen to i did that in tokyo Uh, i was working on for basically trying to get that interview for a year and he finally said he would do it, which was incredible. And as I'd interviewed Jed McCallum, that kind of led to a whole Mount Gox series. I feel in a very fortunate position that I get to do a job I really, really enjoy. I, I, I can't tell you how much I love doing this as a job. And I would happily, I said this in the Pomp interview, if somebody said, I can guarantee you'll do this for the rest of your life, but you're never going to be rich, but you'll be able to afford to pay your bills, I would I would take that as a deal now because uh, oh, yeah. I love doing that. Yeah, I love it. There would be nothing better than than podcasting past that threshold of like, once you have this much money, you're happy and not being rich. That would, yeah, that's uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's great. Yeah. And you have been making money on your show. I mean, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, I I've never thought to put that on my main page, mostly because we're not making money, but <laughs> you are actually doing it. Well, do you know what? So what happened was, I'll tell you the background. There's two back, There's two reasons to it. Um, and it's a bit difficult now because, you know, the, it, the money's kind of, it's pretty good. So that brings different challenges of people challenging why you're doing it. But I did it for two reasons. Firstly, when I used to work in tech, there were two podcasts I used to listen to sometimes. One was called Smart Passive Income and one was called EO Fire. And they were both around building businesses and being entrepreneurs. And both had this thing called an income report whereby they would tell you how they made money. So what happened was when I went to the start of the podcast, I started going back to them and listening to them and saw this. And I just kind of thought, yeah, that's a really cool thing. It makes you accountable for what you're doing because now I've done it every month. I'm accountable. So I'm accountable to the records and I'm accountable for the things I say I'm going to do. So that's kind of cool. And then secondly, you know, when you work in Bitcoin slash crypto, it's a very, it's an environment where people are very suspicious when you're making money. They want to know why and what your incentives are. And, uh, and, you know, I, I get this all the time, especially recently. So I thought if I'm always transparent, if I'm always as a, I think the only thing I don't show is the actual, breakdown of the deals for each client right so each sponsor i don't show that because 
every negotiation is different and I wouldn't want to have to try and explain why one has a different from the other because there's nuances to it. But uh, I, I share it all transparently. This is how I make my money. This is, and by the way, I, there's no limit to how much I would be happy to make. I don't care. You know, if it for some reason made a few, huge amount of money, I wouldn't feel guilty about that. But if anyone wants to tra- challenge me because of what crypto and Bitcoin is like, there's a lot of scammers, a lot of you know, things going on. I want to say, here you go. I've I've been transparent from the start. I'm entirely transparent. And if it even got to the point that somebody thought they were suspicious about even the deals, I would happily get some kind of oracle who I would share all that data with, who can confirm and say, look, Peter isn't scamming. We've seen the books, etc. I want to do it 100% transparent. So I never have to face that question where somebody said, oh, you're only doing that interview because you've been paid by them or, or you're only doing, you know, which I've had a lot of recently. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's kind of fun to do actually. Um, yeah, I enjoy it. What I noticed is you don't, it doesn't look like now again, I didn't go deep into it, but it doesn't look like you take any money from the random shitty ICO projects that you'll see on a lot of different shows. No. And that's not to say that it's a carte blanche. No. Right. So I actually did a, cause I've had some questions over my guest policy. uh, Sorry, my guests recently, I actually put up a guest policy on my website because people have been saying, you know, challenging some of my non-Bitcoin interviews. So I wrote this guest policy the other day, and within that, I put a sponsor policy. And I've put in there, I do not accept sponsorships for ICO projects, but I will work with companies that do. For example, I will work with an exchange which lists altcoins if it also has Bitcoin. So I work with Kraken. Kraken allows the trade of altcoins, and I'm cool with that. Okay, but they also they are a Bitcoin company. Jesse's a Bitcoin company. It's very very difficult to build a podcast which is all your sponsors are 100% Bitcoin only companies. I don't work with the ICOs because at the moment, my my problem is I don't know. I'm not going to go out and say every single one of them is scam. Almost certainly a lot of them are. But actually, there's plenty of people working in the space who do believe in what they're doing, whether or not they're right or not, and whether or not the kind of more kind of maximalist or hardline Bitcoiners who think all of these ICOs are bullshit. I don't know 100%. I can't tell you with 100% guarantee if in 10 years' time, actually, do you know what? Someone has built a token-based project where they raise the money on the ICO and it has delivered and people are making an income. I'm just not smart enough to tell that. So right now, I don't want to accept money from that. And I've got no intention to, to, hopefully I never will. So it's in my policy that I don't, but um, it's that's not a judgment on that, that they're all scams. Yeah, that I do say, I say scammy ICOs. I don't actually think all ICOs are scams either. And most of them probably don't set out to be scams. Like they really do think they're going to do what they're doing. The incentives yeah. just aren't particularly aligned. If you, I, yeah, hey, I'm going to build this thing. I need $5 million. Oh, cool. I got $10 million. Uh, yeah. What is the incentive there to actually build the thing that you said you were going to build? There isn't one. So you just uh, you just end up with a lot that put something into development, I guess, to kind of make it look like they're still doing what they said they were going to do. And then it ends up petering off or something like that. So Yeah, the so- incentive structure was all wrong with it. That was one of the problems. Uh, you know, I was discussing that with uh, Chris Paniski uh, last week, and I'm not convinced that this new model of raising money, whilst it is some ways, if you can get the legal structure right, it's fairer because it opens up to more people. And I think that's great. But I'm not sure if that is a better model than the current equity framework with venture capital. Now, I do think there's too much money in venture capital now. These multi-billion dollar funds are, are, are kind of scary. But I don't think the model is has improved yet. Now I've seen some other kind of equity-based websites where you can—I can't remember the name of one—I saw recently where you can invest as a small investor. 
into projects. And I think I, the way I believe it works is that, and I could be entirely wrong here, so apologies if I am, is that the company kind of that you, the platform you go through takes an equity shareholding on your behalf and then something or other, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but there so are a trusted other, third party. Kind of, yeah. But it's what well, went wrong with that? Well, that's the non-crypto world. But I like the idea of opening it up to more people. Um, I just can't articulate how that will be. But I don't think crypto at the moment has improved the equity model because it doesn't actually believe like with a token, you actually own anything. You certainly don't have a shareholding. You just have a claim to a stake of part of the network if the network becomes successful. But then I'm also not sure even if that means the token should accrue value. Most of these I think would probably work better as some kind of pegged coin, pegged to the dollar. But uh, again, I don't I don't understand it enough. It's not for me, but I haven't written the whole... Uh, it, it doesn't mean I won't talk to somebody about it, right? Right, yeah, that, that makes sense. I'm just so, not going to take uh, money off them. Yeah, I don't mind... I'm the same way. I don't mind speaking with somebody on one of these projects. Uh, you know, we've had, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a small project that I've had on the, on the show. Like there, there was one called spank chain where I actually had <laughs> one of their models on the show, which one? I don't mind talking to them. That was a cool little project, but you know, I wouldn't have taken the money for it. Which was in the model. Uh, the alley? Name? uh, no, no, it wasn't. She didn't work for, she was just, <laughs> this is the way I found her was I had invested in the spank chain ICO. So I went to the beta launch the first day that they did the beta on the webcams. And the model that was there, I was just like, hey, can you come on the show and talk about your experience behind the camera and what the user interface is like and stuff like that? And she just said, yes, uh, her name was Glittery Gabby, I think. OK, so she was just independent. She didn't work for them. She, she I just wanted to know what her experience was like. So do you want to know what's really interesting? So my next episode, episode 91, is with Amin. So I did an interview with Amin. <laughs> oh, he's, yeah, he's the uh, yeah the fo- founder or. Yep. And I then, in the next day, I interviewed Ali the next day. And it was really interesting because when I put it out on Twitter, I got a, so much flack with people saying, now you're with full scams. What are you doing with these? Your, your podcast <laughs> is dead. You're a fucking idiot. All that kind of stuff. What actually happened was I was in Venice in LA and I got up in the morning and I saw an article, I think it was on Decrypt. And it was about somebody who went to the Spank Chain offices to find out how it worked and talking about some of the issues of sex workers. And I was like, oh, wow, they're in Venice. I'm in Venice. So I messaged Amin and said, look, um, can we do an interview? He said, yeah, but I'm flying out in a few hours, so it has to be now. I was like, great. So I didn't have time to prep. And I don't know a lot about Spank Chain, but I never really paid it much attention because it just I didn't look at it. So I thought, oh, it just sounds dumb. It's just some dumb, like, whatever project. And then I looked into it and I was like, well, there's some interesting stuff in here about learning about the deplatforming of sex workers. They can't get bank accounts. They can't use PayPal. This sounds like a, a natural fit for Bitcoin. Okay. So I wanted to learn about what it was like for people in the industry. So I went and met, met with Amin and asked him all about this. Now, some people privately said to me, look, Spank Chain is definitely a scam. And I haven't looked in it. I can't prove whether it is or whether it isn't. If it's a scam by virtue of being an ICO, then yes, it is. Is it a, pe- a bunch of people who are genuinely trying to build a platform that allows people to generate uh, stable coins to pay sex workers in a censorship-resistant way? Okay, that's interesting. Now, yes, I buy the argument Bitcoin would be better, but nobody's doing mm-hmm. it with Bitcoin. Uh, well, that's, some people have tried. These guys decided, right, we're going to do an ICO to raise funds so we can build what we want. Okay, so be it. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna judge it all. If the end product is that they build something so people can, so sex workers can earn money, 
then okay, I'm going to give you a small benefit of doubt. Now, right now, there is no way I would recommend Spank Chain to anyone because I don't know enough about it. But that doesn't mean I don't want to talk to Amin and understand the challenges of the industry. And even more so, uh, meeting up with Ali and talking to her was more interesting because beyond the deplatforming, I want to understand, and these are questions I put to her, what is it like for a sex worker? What is it like for an 18-year-old first time on set? Are there support structures in place? What is it like for how, what is the impact of free porn on the internet being on the industry, which I already know the answer to, which means it's harder for sex workers to earn money, which means some of them are having to do more extreme or have to diversify their income. But I find it very interesting. I expect there are a bunch of people who may even judge it just because I'm talking to sex workers who probably watch porn. Yep. So yeah. I'm going to do that interview because I think it's interesting. I remember when we, uh, we we had talked to Rob Viglione from Zencash, and he had just done a partnership with Pornhub. And I was upset about that. I'm like, what are you doing? This was a project that I thought was actually good. Why are you partnering with Pornhub? Not because I cared that they were partnering with sex work, but that the other two coins were Tron and Verge that they were partnering with. <laughs> There's three total coins that were accepted by Pornhub. I'm like, what are you doing? And his immediate response was to say like, before I clarified that, that, oh, well, we don't consider sex work a bad thing. And I'm like, no, no, I, I, I get why you're getting a lot of that as a response, but that I agree that you should, you should be able to do it. Glittery Gabby told us 50%. They take 50% of their money on the cam sites that she has to, that she was working on. Yep. And Spank chain know, takes 5%. Yep. So if they, if it ends up being a thing, that's really, it's, clearly really good for the sex workers yeah they just I, I remember in the beginning had some issues with their actual software you know and i can't evaluate spank chain i can't evaluate their software i'd be interesting someone to do it and almost do it from a position of on the fence rather than a position of i want to find why spank chain is a scam i'd be interested for someone to go go through it my suspicion is it would be very difficult to find a bitcoiner to uh, look at it as uh, impartially because their belief is, why don't you just do it with Bitcoin? And, and I, I agree. I, I wish somebody would. I really think this is a massive opportunity to help a bunch of people who deserve to be able to earn an income, who deserve to not be deplatformed because they're not doing something illegal. And it, it really bothers me that they have an, indus- an industry, a multi-billion dollar industry, which is perfectly legal, yet they face so much difficulty getting paid or being able to earn money. And I think that's fucking terrible. And almost certainly the consequences are highly negative for them as a sex worker. It's like um, prostitution. I've never used a prostitute. Do I have a problem with it? I wish people didn't have to rely on it. I don't know what it's like, but should it be a criminal action? Oh, certainly not. By criminalizing it, you push it underground and you make it more dangerous. Every time I've read about a project to decriminalize and create safer environments for sex workers has almost certainly been to the benefit of the sex worker and to the de- uh, and some possibly I don't know about this but possibly to the person um, the, the customer as well. But I just think it's such a backwards world we live in where we we criminalize acts that actually have a much more uh, have a net negative effect. It's similar to the um, the war on drugs. You know, everything. I'm, yeah. a, I'm obviously a, a huge supporter of uh, Ross Albrecht. I love what he did with the Silk Road. The uh, drug prohibition has just not worked. I mean, $50 billion has achieved fuck all. And if you speak to the Drug Policy Alliance or read their work on it, they will tell you that the Silk Road reduced and removed a whole section of criminality and violence and danger from an industry 
which by banning has has had zero effect on drug consumption. Like if you're gonna t- if you want drugs, you're gonna take them, right? Most people don't go, oh, oh, it's illegal. I better not do this. They just do it anyway. Yet they have to do it in environments which are dangerous and scary. Look, I mean, look at the success of the cannabis industry by professionalizing it. When I was in Venice, I went into this store and it was like an Apple store. <laughs> yes, yeah, it, I, I have been to those stores too. They are awesome. Incredible. I, I don't smoke weed. I have done. It's just not for me anymore. But but when I went into there, I thought, well, I remember when I used to buy it. You know, I used to have to go to like a supermarket car park and wait for some dude who might turn up, might not. You know, sometimes you'd get ripped off. You get crap. Blah blah blah. Whatever. This had professionalized it, but didn't change whether or not I wanted to consume it. And it's scary, and it's challenging for people to think about it. But what would happen if we did it to other drugs? What if ecstasy or MDMA was legal? How how would that change the industry? Would it would more people be taken? Would less? Almost certainly, the ones who do are doing it in a safer environment. There's probably some number of people that don't smoke weed or don't do drugs that are only doing it because not doing it because it's illegal. For instance, prostitution. I've participated in legal prostitution. I do not participate in illegal prostitution. So years ago, I was in uh, Aruba was the time that I actually experienced that. And they had a little card that said, I've been tested on this date, this date, this date. And they show it to you. They're required to show it to you before you do anything. So that's got to be safer for the person who's participating in it than whatever's happening on the street corner. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with the, if you, it's not stopping most people who want to do these things from doing them. So it's just creating all of the extra extraneous bad stuff around it. And I guess we are always going to find something of an echo chamber in the crypto space because you kind of have that libertarian style thought to things or anarchist or whatever you want to call it. There's a marriage of when you should just like let things be legal or when there should probably be some regulation about something. And drugs just seem to be one of the ones it's like if we were just smoking weed before we were drinking alcohol then that would have been the thing that's legal and alcohol would have been the thing that was Ill- illegal. But, you know, whatever, the our ancestors figured out that drinking ale was was better than smoking a plant at some point. So <laughs> at least more fun. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so many different interesting points you brought up there. Firstly, your candid um, admission. That's very interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I don't mind. I, I, I'm interested to know what it's like as an experience, but yeah. Um, <laughs> secondly, I, the smoking of a plant. I mean, I was watching a uh, documentary the other day, and it's about a girl. She was called the the smallest eighteen year old in England. She was um, eighteen years old, and about two or three years old, she stopped growing. She's like thirty inches tall, and she suffers from chronic pain i think it's in her hips and she has to take a lot of drugs for that you know uh, opiate based drugs and she's fed up she doesn't want to keep doing it so she when she was in america she visited a guy a young lad he was about 18 and he had i can't remember exactly what it was say it was crohn's disease but he had something and he was on a lot of drugs and they switched to marijuana capsules the cbd or thc whichever one it was all his pain went and his condition's gone he's got no problems at all and I was thinking, we've got a plant here that's illegal where there's a huge amount of circumstantial, but a huge amount of evidence that proves no harm is done. Nobody's smoking weed and getting into fights. Nobody's <laughs> pe- People are taking this as a medical supplement. The only violence and criminality around it is with the, with the gangs who are dealing it when it's in, under prohibition. You know, once it's legal, there's no problems caused. So... That's a, a very, a very interesting subject to explore. And I find it really, I mean, it's still, you know, 
still illegal here. It's still illegal to smoke weed in England. And it's utterly ridiculous. I mean, we had the case of some, I can't remember their names, a mother and a son who they come off a plane and the son suffers from, I think it's chronic epilepsy. He takes a form of marijuana to support that, to control his fits. And they landed in the UK. And and again, I can't remember the details, but it was either taken from him or the mum was arrested, but they were saying, you can't take this. And it had to have our home secretary actually intervene. And it was in the news and it took weeks to intervene to get his supplements back. And it's just like, this is shocking. This is absolutely shocking. Like I've got no, what you said earlier, I think as long as you're not harming other people, then you're fine. So two consenting adults, if one wants to pay the other to have sex, who's harm? Where is the harm in this? Right. The harm is in like the sex trafficking and the yeah, stuff that happens because it's not legal and not something that can be done. I mean, certainly there is potential for harm. There's a potential for a customer to abuse, the, the even in a regulated or a decriminalized environment, to abuse or do something harmful and violent towards the sex worker. And certainly the sex worker could rip off the customer. But in any legal or decriminalized environment, there is an opportunity for someone on the side of the trade to take advantage. But there's so much more negative by with prohibition in these things where with two consenting adults, there is no harm done. Similar with drug consumption. I mean, if you're in the comfort of your home home, you want to take some psychoactive, psychoactive substance and you're doing no harm, great. Look, I'm not saying I want uh, parents to be at home taking heroin while their children are upstairs. That's certainly not something I think would be great. But at the same time, what is the harm in some of these drugs in your own home where you're causing no harm? I mean, alcohol, look at the amount of alcohol problems alcohol causes for, you know, in bars and clubs where people get angry or stupid or fighting. I know it's a massive drain on the NHS in the UK, and I think that's fucking terrible. What, wait, what is the NHS? Uh, it's the National Health Service. So we have... Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, it, and, and you know, it's a essentially free healthcare, but you pay it through your taxes. But Must it's, be nice. Well, it's it's free free for all. So essentially, nobody, there's no, no situation where you can't get healthcare. Now, again, I've been challenged by some of the, uh, the Bitcoiners that, that socialism and socialism is bad. But either way, the... Saturday nights, Friday nights, Saturday nights, the accident and emergency departments of the NHS are dealing with a lot of drunk idiots. They haven't got a waiting room full of people who've smoked a spliff. (laughs) (laughs) They're not not sending out ambulance to get people outside a a cafe because they've smoked a joint and had a fight. They've probably smoked a joint, had an argument, and go, yeah, yeah. Don't fucking worry about it, mate. <laughs> yeah, they used it to calm down when they were about to get in a fight. They were like, oh, I had too much to drink. Let me calm down over here real quick. You know, logic comes into play. It's like my son said to me the other day. He said, uh, he's about 10, 15. He was like, Dad, in a year I can join the army, but I won't be able to play Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned something there that I wanted to, to catch on. The, the yeah. Bitcoiners would say that this is socialism to have yeah. uh, to, Actually, to it's like fair that. to say uh, it's probably unfair to say bitcoiners because some bitcoiners may be socialists the you know what i mean the, the ones yeah. who are anti-socialist they have a problem with the nhs i feel like the issue with socialism is that we it is uh clearly bad in all the forms that it's been tried right like in any of the places that go full on socialism they get corrupt the same way all of the centralized powers get corrupt mm-hmm. so the the uk's government is at least 
in theory, uh, is reasonably decentralized. I mean, obviously there's centralized powers, but there's checks and balances. Uh-huh. So if you have a socialized piece of something that's at least a little bit decentralized, then in theory, it should probably be kept in check. And if it's a good thing for all of the members of the community, then I don't see a problem with that. Healthcare is a tough one. I, I'm, I'm going to be well out of my lane here. Healthcare is a tough one because there are a lot of problems with the NHS. It's bureaucratic and it's long waiting lists. And the the thing about the NHS, it started in a time way before we had really expensive drugs and these really expensive machines that cost hundreds of thousands that can scan for everything. It was started in a I don't know, whenever it was decades ago where healthcare was fairly simple. And now we live in a time where healthcare is a multi, multi multi-billion dollar industry, highly commercialized. Cancer drugs are developed that cost tens of maybe hundreds of thousands to treat individuals. There are treatments, proton machines that cost, I don't know, millions. That's a real drain on the NHS to compete with that. Yeah, I look at the American system, and I'd love to move to America, and the healthcare system scares me there. And what scares me about the healthcare system in the US is every time I go there, I hear of new conditions that I didn't even know exist. And every third, well, yeah, every third advert is like, you should have this, and you should have that, and if, you, if you're suffering from this problem, and then it, the, each advert ends with that, you take this, yeah, and that disclaimer, and you're like, this is fucking crazy. And the opiate problem I'm hearing about in, like, is it Oxy? What's the Oxy? What's the Oxy? Oxycontin. Yeah, that's a huge problem. So I don't know what the correct answer is. It's not something I've looked into. I'd love to know a good example of a very well-functioning healthcare system. I don't know enough either, but when I'm looking at empirical evidence, you see that nobody who ever switched to it went back. They weren't ever like, oh, wow, this free Medicare or Medicare, free medicine and healthcare for all is really terrible. Let's go back to the old way that we were doing it. Everybody switches and stays there. So I don't know enough, but if I'm looking at something from the outside where I don't have enough knowledge to figure out the answer, I will look at the history and see, okay, so what other people have figured out that this is wrong and why? And there's a lot of theory behind why it's wrong, but in practice, nobody goes back. So it can't be that bad. (laughs) I don't know. That's just thought off the top of my head for that but yeah some so one of the other things i've got a friend who lives out in uh, la he he's he's the one who came up with the name what bitcoin did and uh his daughter hurt her finger surfing or something broke a finger or something and he told me firstly he had then explained the deductible to me and i was like jesus so you've got <laughs> health care but basically you're paying out anyway so that sucks and then he had to pay out a second amount or so, even after he went after his deductible something or other happened whereby they went in the wrong ambulance their ambulance they were in wasn't covered by their health provider. So therefore, and I was like, Jesus, it's so much simpler in the UK. You phone 999, speak to the ambulance, and the ambulance comes. You've got none of this worry of, shit, am I in the right ambulance? You know. And then he said when he gets his bills, it's like a bill from this person, a bill from that. But like, there's a whole stream, a whole cascade of people through the system who are billing him. And that, to me, is really scary. You don't know who's in network and who's not. There could be hospitals that are in network that have doctors that are not. So (laughs) you could be at the right hospital, have taken the right ambulance and just see the wrong doctor because he's a specialist that isn't covered by your thing. And now all of a sudden you have to pay, say, 20% of what it is, but you were supposed to pay zero. But now you have to pay 20% of $100,000. And where are you going to get that? I don't know. Yeah. And you can't challenge and negotiate. Like, say I wanted to sponsor your podcast. You're like, Pete, yeah, it's 
$500 a show. I'll be like, well, I'll tell you what, give you, what would you do me for 10 shows? And you say, oh, $4,000. I go, well, I'll give you 3000 You go, okay, let's do it. You can't we'll do that. It. Yeah, you take it and you do a deal. And it's like, okay, you can't do that. You can't turn up to the doctor and say, well, you've said it's this, but I mean, I've got $300. We do, there's no negotiation. It's a bill. And you usually find out afterwards, right? Yeah. Yeah, you you have most of the time the doctors have no idea what they're about to charge you, and it's very, very, very weird. I don't know. That's and it's not again. I haven't done the research, but I've been in the medical. Like I've had to go get medical care, and I'm just I'm completely scared. I definitely get less preventative care than I should. Like I'm a fat dude. I should probably go be going to the doctor way more than I do because there's a good chance my blood pressure gets high or I end up diabetic or something like that. But I go once a year. Or the gym. Yeah, yeah, I could. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> I don't want to make it. Yeah, th- there are other alternatives. But um, yeah, since I moved to Austin, I've lost 30 pounds because of just like the group that I'm hanging out with, hanging out with and uh, intermittent fasting and all that stuff. But yes, there are clearly things that I can do to make myself healthier. But in the meantime, I should make sure that I'm not going to die in the process. Yeah. So 30 pounds I, is good, man. Well, yeah, it, now that would be the equivalent of most people losing like two percentage wise. But I am proud of myself. So I don't I don't want to dismiss that. So 30, 30 pounds off 300 is a lot. Still. Yeah, that is. That is. Okay. So Ross Albrecht, so clearly you know a lot. You you interviewed his mom. Yeah. Twice. I, I've seen you in pictures with, you know, the free Ross signs and stuff like that. I haven't looked enough into his situation, but when we originally talked about it on our show, and we've said a lot of dumb shit in the past. I mean, w- the first, I think in the beginning of the show, when I talked about Bitcoin, I hated it. I was like, oh, Bitcoin's slow. It costs $50 to send a transaction. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I've changed. I've very much changed my tune as I learned more about network effects and that kind of thing. But one of the things we did when we talked about Ross was like our conclusion was originally this guy deserves to be in jail. I don't see the problem. Like he tried to have somebody killed, and then we find out okay, well, he didn't really go to jail for that, like or go to prison for that. He went to prison for something else, and they dropped that case and never even bothered to try it. Well, he did go to prison for running like a drug operator. We he ran. He went to prison for running something that should be illegal but is illegal, but was he oversentenced? And there's like a lot of nuance there. So I know, I know we can go into a lot of it, but I really don't know what to think about Ross. I mean, I've wrestled with a lot of it. Um, I've interviewed Lynn twice. I've read a lot of the details of the case. And I, even in my first interview, I asked her the question. I said, well, you know, Ross committed a crime. I mean, whatever your moral position is on the drug prohibition, there are laws of the land. And, Mm -hmm. There are going to be times where people break a law and it might affect you and you will want the police to do something about it. If somebody broke into your house and stole your car, so you have laws, okay? He broke a law. How do you feel? And she's like, no, we accept. I mean, I'm trying to remember the interview, but we accept he broke a law. It's not the fact that he was convicted. It is the size and of the sentence. The, the, like, he will spend the rest of his life in prison for creating a website, which people such as the Drug Policy Alliance said, actually led to harm reduction. So if you use the Silk Road and say you take drugs, there were sections that advise you how how to safely consume drugs, which if you go to the street corner and buy heroin, your dealer isn't telling you, firstly, you don't know what it's cut with. Secondly, he's not telling you how to do it. Thirdly, you don't know if he's going to rob you and kill you. Okay, if you And you can't on, leave him a rating afterwards. You can't leave him a rating afterwards. You go on the Silk Road, you could order your results by uh, reviews, a bit like Amazon. You are almost certainly not having to go and wait in a dark street corner, and you're going to probably get delivered what you ordered. 
If you're unsure how to take it, you can go into the help sections of the website. One of the saddest things on the prosecution was the use of parents or people related to customers of the Silk Road who died. There are people who bought drugs on the Silk Road, took them and died, which is awful mm -hmm. and very sad. And I feel for those. And, and I understand where that anger and frustration comes from because perhaps they want somebody to blame. Perhaps they're anti-drugs. Perhaps... There's a lot of emotion that comes with that. At the same time, there may be a bunch of people who didn't die because they were using the Silk Road. That now we don't have any data. Can't on prove this. that. Yeah, can't prove yeah. it. We don't have any data on it. My suspicion, by following the work of the Drug Policy Alliance, is that they believe the Silk Road led to harm reduction. Therefore, the Silk Road, for me, was a net benefit, and. Punish Ross if you believe he committed a crime, if you believe you know the site allowed for money laundering, it allowed for whatever the reasons you want to prosecute him for, fine. Put a 30-year-old, I think he was 30 when he was arrested, maybe he was younger, maybe he was like 28, put that person in prison for the rest of their life is ridiculous. And also, I really like uh, Novogratz from Galaxy. I remember a tweet of his that came out once, and he said, nobody is benefiting from this young man spending the rest of his life in prison. And I absolutely agree with that. Sadly, it's a test case. Sadly, he's been made an example of. Right. And right now, his only out is clemency. And I think that is fucking terrible. <laughs> I, I don't see a. Uh, I, I don't see our current president giving that. I think ah, his only outside no. chance might be Andrew Yang. No, I, actually. So we'll come to that. I'll tell you why I care about this so much, why it's so important for me. Uh, I lost my mother to cancer last January. So... I mean, what, where are we now? No, it was two years, two years ago, January, two years ago. And when she was very sick, we tried this too loud, but we decided we wanted to try her on cannabis oil. Now, that's illegal in the UK. I mean, I know where you can buy weed, I, I, but I don't know where you can buy cannabis oil. and I wouldn't know where to start. It wasn't the Silk Road I used, but it was one of the follow-up websites I used to go and purchase this. We got the treatment. We got it to my mum, and she was able to take it. Now, I don't give – I give zero fucks about the police at that time. Come and arrest me. I don't care. Right. I'm still – my mum's in hospital. She's dying. I'm going to give her this treatment. That was only possible for us to buy that because of Ross creating the, the Silk Road. And I absolutely support the decision to do that. He he regrets it, but I absolutely support his decision to do that. And I absolutely would do anything I could to raise awareness of it and raise awareness of the risks he took to create an open and more fair way for people to control what goes in their body and also to create a debate about the war on drugs, which is so patently obviously failed. Yeah, in every country that's ever tried it, it is, yeah, it's terrible. I agree. The data is pretty much undeniable. Like every angle you look at it, the war on drugs has pretty much failed. So you go to certain countries in Asia and you're caught with drugs, they'll shoot you. They'll yep. take you to prison They're, to shoot you. And the Philippines will kill you. They will kill you. They, they actually have um, vigilante groups there now, don't they? Because of the president, yep. uh, that crazy guy. But, but, and he, ha he has support. The, the Torte is like, he has the majority support still, mm -hmm. and he's doing that. It's insane to me to watch what's happening there. And people are still buying and selling drugs in those countries. Now, <laughs> I didn't care in the UK if I, you know, when I was younger and I used to smoke weed, I didn't care about the law. I thought, I don't care. That's a risk worth taking. If I thought I might get arrested and shot, perhaps I wouldn't do it. 
But in other countries, people don't care. So the prohibition just does not work. It's failed. Yeah, every, everywhere I've read about people trying to, like I read about in Portugal, I can't remember the actual details, say they decriminalized it. All the evidence said there was a, an overwhelmingly net benefit to society, reduction in crime, reduction in death. You know, and I just think, what, what, are we, what are we so scared of here? It's an interesting, very nuanced question of what we're scared of between possible religious values or just special interest groups that, uh, you know, maybe maybe your pain pills make a lot less money if you can solve that problem with something a lot cheaper. I don't know. You can't patent marijuana. Yeah. So what I would like to see is Ross actually stand trial for the murder, the murder fryer charge. And why he's not ever going to push that. Because that would obviously be a complete negative free roll for him. But it seems like he was sentenced for that, right? Like the over-sentencing was clearly related to the fact that he allegedly tried to get somebody killed. Well, Judge Forrest used it as part of her. I can't remember what part of the case, but she used it. And almost certainly that influenced jurors or you know, influenced the process. Yeah, the state of Maryland dropped the charges, conveniently dropped the charges after his final appeal was denied. Uh, interestingly, you also said about Donald Trump. Actually, no, I, I actually think he has a chance with Donald Trump. He would have more of a chance if he'd been in uh, prison, I think, longer, because Donald Trump is actually looking for prison reform. He thinks it's utterly ridiculous, the amount of people who are in prison for nonviolent crimes, for the, the, the huge cost of the uh, American prison system, which, by the way, is a business as well. Yeah. Yeah, one of the biggest lobbying groups against prison reform is the prison guards association that again most of this stuff i'm saying i'd have to fully research and double check that but i'm pretty sure when i did my research that's the case but you know the u.s prison system is a business there's whole towns that will be decimated if the prison closed down because that's the main employer in the town i had a friend who was a prison guard and he just told me all of this ridiculous stuff that we that would go on and we are that's one of the things that the united states is one of the best in the world at right now is the percentage of incarcerated people in our uh, <laughs> in our prisons. Is so, there something like 2.2 million people are incarcerated in the U.S.? I haven't seen the number. I've just seen the ranks. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, there we go, America. We're on top. Let's yeah, and go. It, and there's like this graph and it'll show countries and then you get to the U.S. and it just jumps up. You're like, what? This is insane. Yeah. Like, it's a problem for me. Uh, I'd love to do more research into it. And uh, yeah, I mean, so I'm um, interestingly, I'm going to be launching a new, I've been saying this for a long time now, but I'm, go I'm going to be launching a new non-Bitcoin podcast because Bitcoin has exposed me to so many other subjects. I'm interested in things I want to research, but that aren't, that aren't Bitcoin. And uh, I really want to explore those subjects. So I'm going to be launching that hopefully within the next month or so. And, and you've found that love for the research that you've been doing for the people that come on your show or the projects that they might talk about transfers over to other pieces of the world outside of crypto. Yeah, absolutely. I've, so I've got a couple of interviews in the can. I've got one with a lady called Charlotte Walsh, who was quoted during the Ross Albrecht campaign. She does uh, campaigns for the freedom of choice with uh, psychoactive substances. And mm -hmm. actually, that, there's very nuanced arguments about why. I found that fascinating. I, I really want to do, look into that. I'd love to look into the US prison system. I think that's fascinating. I think there's so many fascinating subjects that Bitcoin and crypto take you to. But when you do the interview, it's got nothing to do with Bitcoin and crypto, but you're there. Like, like the sex workers one. I find yep. that fascinating. That's a really interesting subject I want to explore. Uh, so yeah, coming soon. 
<laughs> Do you know what it's going to be called? No, I haven't come up with a name. Like part of me, the marketer in my head thinks it needs to be what something did, you know, keeping on <laughs> what Peter did, what Peter did. Yeah. Or, and, uh, uh, somebody said I should call it McCormack as fuck. And, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, like I've got no idea. I, I having my name in, it feels a little bit like a little bit ego. And, uh, whilst I'm an, I might come across as like an extrovert on Twitter. I am a, sometimes, um, I, I don't like being the center of attention sometimes so i'm not sure i don't feel comfortable having my name in it but i don't know i'll come up with something something or other well it, it, yeah once you build a brand it's almost like you don't have the you don't have the choice anymore mm. did you find yourself changing your opinion on bitcoin from when you started your podcast until now plenty of times plenty of times it's still changing and one of the areas i'm exploring quite deeply at the moment is maximalism and even saying that word can be can be a trigger for some people but mm -hmm. this kind of world of bitcoin and bitcoin only everything else is a scam or everything else won't work or there only needs to be one blockchain it's an area i'm finding really interesting to explore for a couple of reasons firstly there are a whole bunch of people who are interested or investing in altcoins or alternative projects and tokens. And I find it very hard to think millions of people are wrong. At the same time, there's all these Bitcoiners who are like, this is all bullshit. And I'm like, well, how can they be wrong? And I find it a really interesting area to explore. And one of the areas I find really interesting to explore is where the bias is. So for example, if I'd have joined Bitcoin in 2011 and had myself a 20, 30,000 uh, 30, coin hoard of Bitcoin, you know, never have to work again. Would I want to defend that to the hilt and yeah. buy everything that comes in? Or do, would I have a time bias that I've seen so much bullshit come and go and go, it's just not worth it anymore? I don't know. But I'm. there are a bunch of people who will invest in altcoins and tokens who aren't interested in Bitcoin. They're interested in Litecoin or Ripple or some Ethereum. And what is the reason? Is it because they haven't been around long enough? They haven't got wrecked yet? There's so many reasons, but what I don't think works, I don't think the berating and condescending of people who are interested in it, that is good. And a lot of that is going on. And I'm facing a lot of challenges right now with my podcast because I kind of, I started out as a shit coiner. And then I took myself right up to the edge of maximalism to the point of believing, yeah, I'm here. I'm a maximalist. I get it now. And then I got there and I was like, but there's all these other people over here who aren't, and why aren't they? And now I'm wanting to explore that again and find out why. And and I find it an interesting area to explore, but it now comes with a lot of pressures and it comes with a lot of people becoming very critical of my work to the point of harassing me. And that's, oh, man. but that I also find interesting. We've, we've been the target of some harassment that we, we, we did a, one of, one of these scam coins, we did like a show on them and from that point forward they followed us around and everything that we did twitter reddit everything and just like it's yeah. pretty it's pretty obnoxious but here's what i'll say when, when i hear like the complete dogmatic beliefs in anything but specifically the bitcoin maximalism it sounds just like the people who say bitcoin's a scam they're like what do you what do you need another money for we have money i don't understand what is this we don't need this it feels similar now it feels similar from a place of they're probably smarter than the people that say that bitcoin's a scam or whatever but the it feels like maybe they haven't been interested in changing their mind or maybe they have maybe they have done research on both sides of the opinion of the of this and they've come to this conclusion but a fluid 
opinion of something I think is super important because you don't have all the information when you form your original opinion. So if you just leave it there at whatever your opinion was originally, you're going to end up with some real dogmatic beliefs that are wrong. And um, Well, do you know what I think would be interesting? I would love to get a random selection of 10,000 Bitcoiners and be able to plot on a graph how much Bitcoin you own and when you came into Bitcoin because there are going to be people who are going to arrive at Bitcoin today, tomorrow, or a week ago, and they you don't arrive a maximalist. I mean, I'm sure some people get it straight away, but you arrive with a lot of learning to do and a lot of exposure mm-hmm. to different things, a lot of different coins, token people. And you go into this Bitcoin environment where everything's a scam. And if you don't believe it, you're a fucking idiot. And the empirical evidence is there. And do you know, you? this was the one I love. You just don't understand Bitcoin. Now, this isn't me discrediting Bitcoin. I am a Bitcoin fan. I own two coins, Bitcoin and Monero. And that's all I own. I'm not going to buy anything else. I've got no interest in anything else. But I can't avoid as... Yeah, if some people want to say I'm a journalist. I don't know. But I can't, as a podcaster slash journalist, whatever you want to call it, I can't not explore this. I can't not explore what it's like for somebody new arriving or explore why reasons that people aren't a maximalist and learn from that. I, I can't do it. Why would I avoid that? Why do I want to go into... Why do I want to go into a Bitcoin-only environment where I just am a cheerleader for Bitcoin and everything about Bitcoin is great and here's all the best Bitcoin people to talk to? It's not enough for me. I've got to explore these subjects. i tell you what's quite interesting as well, actually. Really funny today. One of my friends, um, she's dating at the moment, and she's like, have you done any of these personality tests? And I was like, what? And it's something Briggs or something, and I did it. I've yeah, Myers-Briggs, yeah. Yeah, Myers-Briggs. So I did mine today, right? And it's so funny. Let me try and dig it up. So I did it. And it turns out that I am a, let me tell you what I am. I am a ENFJ. And I, I went through that and I read what that actually means. So essentially, I'm a prota- uh, protagonist. And it says, everything you do right now ripples outward and affects everyone. I was like, shit. Okay, yeah. I mean, my podcast can do that. He said, your posture can shine your heart or transmit anxiety. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like me. Blah, blah, blah. And it's got all this stuff. But when you start going through it, okay, let me sh- find some of the interesting stuff. Okay, this one. I'm a firm believer in people. People are drawn to strong personalities and protagonists radiate authenticity, concern, and altruism, unafraid to stand up and speak when they feel something needs to be said. And I'm like, holy shit. I mean, yes, I try to be as authentic as I can. I try to be transparent and share what I do. They say, you're altruistic. I'm like, well, I, you know, I, I've been buying people nodes. And if anyone wants to start a podcast, I'm there and I'll help you. And they said, unafraid to stand up and speak when they feel like something needs to be said. And that's the thing with the podcast, you know, whatever people say, what really annoys me is when somebody says to me, like, tells me why I'm doing what I'm doing. You're only doing that for the money or or the clicks. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And I end up defending myself. I'm doing it because I believe it's right. And I believe I, I should look into it. And I just thought, wow, this is so interesting, almost to the point where I want to debate a maximalist or or not debate, just have an interview with with one. And I want them to do the Myers-Briggs beforehand. And I want to know their personality type and then understanding how the debate comes. But this is who I am. I can't fake who I am. And it's almost like anyone who has an issue or cares about my podcast, it's like, well, read this. Because if you read this, you'll understand my personality type and then maybe why I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. Does, does that make sense? Do you see why that's kind of interesting? Yeah. And what you said about plotting their, you know, when they got in and what their personality types are, I'm sure there's a correlation there. There's got to be, it's maybe not strong, but there's probably something. And if 
people have they're always going to have an issue is what is what i found no matter what we do if we swear on our show we'll get somebody who you know comes in and says hey you guys shouldn't swear yeah like our podcast is called crypto basic i wanted to call our listeners basic bitches uh <laughs> I think it's hilarious, but yeah. like my co-hosts are trying to stop me so hard because they think that uh, it's going to turn people off. And I'm like, I don't know. I think whatever. I think it's funny. I don't <laughs> whatever. So we'll see. That may actually happen. Yeah. But um, yeah, they're the outliers of people who are going to be upset about things. I feel like you just kind of have to unfortunately ignore them. And yeah. 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 You, you kind of do. It, it just gets a bit much sometimes like people tweeting and copying in my sponsors going, why are you sponsoring this guy? Or someone did a poll, Peter McCormack, a scammer. And I'm like, <laughs> really, really am I a scammer? And then just the, the constant harassment or judgments against me or, you know, people saying, why are you interviewing that person? Or when you've done an interview, why didn't you answer the, ask this question? Why didn't you push them? Like I'm kind of, coming to terms with it and accepting it and thinking, okay, I, I, if I want to do this show and I do want more listeners, then I have to accept what comes with it. That's fine. But it just, I guess I'm going through a period of adjustment, right? A period of adjustment where I, 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 I'm certainly starting to accept there is a responsibility with what I produce. And I take that responsibility very seriously. It's change. Like, for example, I've done, I've just done an interview recently. Well, I've never done this before. I've said to somebody, I'm not sure on the content. Would you mind reviewing it and double checking it for me? Because I think it's important. I'm taking the content I release very seriously, but it just, you know, it takes a period of adjustment. I started a podcast, right? When I was in LA, because I thought this would be fun and recorded some interviews, there was no grand plan. And then suddenly I've got a thing that's like this month is going to be 220,000 downloads. That's a lot of people. And then when I put an interview out there, people are debating it. So I just, I just need this period of adjustment to get used to that and the responsibilities and how I behave. Probably need to change my approach on Twitter, stop being so defensive, not having this, like I feel a need to, when anyone's critical, to defend myself. I probably just need to stop that and accept. Start giving them the links to your transparency where you're like, yeah, here's the money. Yeah, You go, you go find what I did wrong. There's that as well. And, you know, it's probably a weakness of mine, but I kind of want everyone to either, you know, even if you don't like my work, just appreciate what I'm trying to do. Like, see that I'm trying to do this authentic way. And it really gets to me when somebody is really pissed off with what I do. I don't want that the case. Probably comes down to my Myers-Briggs profile, but I, I don't want it to be. But I, I think as part of the adjustment, I have to go, okay, I accept this. It's a bit like um, Joe Rogan said, he doesn't check the comments anymore. No point reading the comments. Yeah. It's just, just, yeah. And Joe Rogan can be at least a little bit polarizing too when he when he does some things. Of but. course. But but I think you just, I've got to come to terms with that. So I, there is like this period of, of adjustment. I mean, you've had it, right? I mean, yeah. it feels shit. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, we did an entire episode on outrage culture for no reason. We shouldn't release that. I don't know why we did. It's not crypto related. Just like Charles Hoskinson had said something on Twitter and everybody went off on him and we started talking about that and then did a whole episode on outrage culture. But who's that? I don't know who that is. Uh, Charles Hoskinson is, um, I'm trolling. he was, a, what he was, oh, sorry. Okay. never mind. <laughs> you get why I, I assume that was what the show was about when he said, do you not know who I am? Yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, it was that's yes. Oh my God. I can't believe you fell I for that. I can't believe I fell for that. <laughs> I met him in Hong Kong. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was on stage with him in, uh, in Bangkok. It was awesome. Ah. He's, he's really brilliant. And then he boxed me out of a conversation when we were standing around talking, which I was like, come on, man. Uh, I the, found him uh, interesting, but yeah, I, I assume that's what your show was about. I can't believe you didn't get my joke. I, I'm the worst. I normally, I don't know why I, I, he's not, he's not like a, 
in my mind, I'm like, okay, Bitcoin maximalist. Maybe you've never given a shit about Charles Hoskinson. He's Ethereum and Cardano. So like, I don't think a, I don't think a lot of the people who would you know be like kind of level one on Ethereum or something like that would have heard of him. So it's not. I've, I bet you. 50% of the people I've had on the show would not know who uh, Charles Hoskinson is. So that's my defense. See, here I am defending myself for no reason. <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> just <laughs> no. The, so what the conclusion we came to was the vocal minority is getting a voice now because of social media and because of this stuff. Yep. And they feel like the majority because they engage that emotional response. So when somebody comes and tells me like, Brent, your voice is shit or like you're fat, don't talk or whatever they say in my head, I'm like, oh, man, I uh-huh. all right, well, let me try to talk to this person, talk them down. But it's one person out of the 200,000 listeners or whatever the case is. Well, dude, listen, when I got all my shit for doing the Ryzen interview and all the shit I've got recently, for every one person give me crap, I've received 10 DMs or emails from people saying, I support what you do. Now, Mm-hmm. I, I'm not. To, I don't want to jump to conclusions while they're doing that. I'm assuming some people are a little bit nervous about publicly supporting because they don't want to get attacked. But it almost certainly is a vocal minority. Actually, one there was one guy. This is brilliant. So I don't know if you saw the storm about doing the Ryzen interview. And uh, so I said I was going to do an interview with Ryzen. He put out a tweet. Ryzen being Peter Ryzen. Uh, they're the Peter. Oh, is the, it Risen? Peter Risen. He's a big blocker. And okay. uh, anyway, there people got. Upset. Yeah, I didn't know who he was, and I wasn't even trolling. Right, so he's a, an alleged another scammer, big, big block scammer, and a bunch of people got upset about it. So I cancelled it just because it was so intense. I was I was on my third flight in like five days. I was sat on a plane on the at the airport at Boston after five hours of delays, being told we've got another two hours sat on the plane, and all these tweets were coming in, and it was aggressive. And I was like, this is too much. I can't fucking deal with this. So I cancelled the interview. And then I end up at the top of Twitter, uh, Reddit uh, for a bunch of big blockers saying they, I've been bullied out of it and I've got no integrity. And I was like, fuck, I'm now in a position. <laughs> I, I'm in this no-win position now whereby if I do the interview, I've got no integrity. And if I don't do the interview, I've got no integrity. So whatever happens, I'm fucked. And I thought the worst thing I felt about it all was the fact that I changed my decision based on other people's opinions rather than doing what I felt. So again, I flip-flopped and went, do you know what? Fuck this. I'm doing the interview. I'm doing it, whatever. Eat shit. I got an email from a maximalist who messaged me and said, listen, I'm a maximalist, but I was really frustrated when you canceled the the Risen interview. I think it should be done. He said, but it's really cool of you for doing that now. What's your Bitcoin address? I just want to show you my thanks. I was like, cool. Gave me the address. Dude, send me a whole Bitcoin. What? Yeah, a fucking whole oh, Bitcoin. That's awesome. And I, I messaged him back and said, "Dude, you've just sent me. You, it's not that you sent me a whole Bitcoin. You sent me four thousand dollars. That's unbelievable. I'm going to take my kids on holiday now. Even by telling you this story, I'm sure a bunch of uh, people are going to say, "Oh no, you changed your. Someone bribed you. You are only doing it because you're given a Bitcoin. It's factually not true. I've got the email. I kept the email so I could timestamp it. No, a guy came in who is a maximalist." and gave me a Bitcoin because I am daring to do a challenging interview with someone people hate. And I was like, you know what? The vocal minority are a scary bunch to get on the wrong side of, but there are a whole bunch of people who are more open-minded and who want to listen to other things. And also, by the way, I think that whilst I don't like the way they do it sometimes, I think these really hardline, hardcore maximists are still really, really fucking important. They just... Yeah? Yeah, yeah, because... S2X didn't happen because of the hardline maximus, because of what they did. And they 
and, and I, I see their importance, right? We can't fuck up Bitcoin. It would be terrible for it to go. It's so important. And it requires a spectrum of people with a spectrum of opinions, I believe, by the way, uh, a spectrum of people with a spectrum of opinions from the ultra hardline conservatives to people who are a little bit more liberal. I, I, that's my belief. <laughs> Again, I'm sure I'll get people attacking me for having that belief, but that, that's what I believe. Well, in any system like Bitcoin is, it's so difficult to get anything done because eventually people have their very strong opinions and they come and they're they're really divided down the middle. And now it, nobody's divided on down the middle as to whether Bitcoin should be semi-transparent. Nobody's divided down the middle as to whether like the transactions should be divided down to eight places. But when you start talking about SegWit or the block size, now all of a sudden wait, I signed up for this, but this is what it really is. And they're getting closer and closer and clashing, which is the beauty of Bitcoin. It's the beauty of all these governance systems on all these different coins. When Craig Wright's going around saying he's Satoshi, on on top of all the empirical evidence to prove otherwise, the number one thing, in my opinion, that makes it super clear is that when Satoshi created Bitcoin, he created it in such a way that this would happen. Like there would be super close debates and the winner would be the one that had the longest chain with the most proof of work. So he wouldn't have been all about like stealing the, ah, we're the I'm the real Bitcoin over here. Like that doesn't feel like it would be aligned with what the original white paper was. So let me ask you something. Craig Wright, zero chance. Here's a socio or a non-zero chance. Everything's a non-zero chance. So I, I hate to eliminate non-zero chance. And I there's I think there's next to no chance that he was actually solely responsible for the Bitcoin white paper and creation and the only person re- involved in, in the Satoshi Nakamoto equation. Do I think that maybe he talked to actual Satoshi at the time, had some input or something like that? Maybe. But he does a lot of... It would just be so easy to prove if he wanted to. And the things that he does that are easily disprovable are like when he really he released that white paper where he's or the thing that was like the white paper he's like oh i wrote this years ago it was like the white paper so i'm clearly satoshi but it was only like version two of the white paper not version one of the white paper so if, if he had actually been satoshi he would have written version one so it's uh it's so weird to watch him do his thing and sometimes i listen to the guy because i've listened to a couple of interviews because i like dumpster fires right so sometimes i hear him and i'm like yeah, what he just said makes sense. And in fact, on the Bitcoin Bitcoin SV versus Bitcoin Cash or whatever the other thing was called, from the tiny, tiny little bit that I looked into it, I think Craig Wright's coin is better. I w- wouldn't touch either one with a 10-foot pole, but if I'm picking between the two, you know, based on just his code and his project, that was better, right? So... But at the same time, he's I've watched him storm off stages because somebody challenged his ego. He's he deleted his Twitter recently. I don't know if he got it back or whatever he did. But I mean, if I was assigning a percentage chance to him versus or maybe not percentage, but like a betting line to him versus the next 12 possible candidates, like if we're talking about Zabo or somebody like that, he would be the uh, the long shot massive odds against. I mean, I don't think he wrote the white paper because I think if he'd have written the white paper, his ego's so big, he wouldn't have cited influence from anyone else. And he cited the influence of other people's work. Um, yep. You talk about nothing's a non-zero chance. I think the earth being flat is a is a zero chance. I don't think it's a non-zero chance. Yeah. That, okay. That's true. So, yes. There are so, some things that are clearly provable that yeah. are zero. Yeah. But, but just imagine he is. Just imagine this is all like one big thing and he comes out one day and he proves it just somehow. Just imagine it. I tweeted about it earlier, actually. What was it I put? 
I would eat so much crow. I, I mean, I would be, it would be the greatest kind of troll of all time almost because of how badly he's proven that he is in the past or done the little things that he's done to prove it. So my, there, you know, my tweet was a Bitcoin world invented by Craig Wright wouldn't be less thrilling. I know that's a double, double negative, but I know what, what I meant. <laughs> like it, it makes no difference. Um, yeah. It just makes no difference whether he is or he isn't. And it actually, in some ways, in some ways, I, the, like I try to imagine if he was, and I think it's quite funny because it proves that a leader is terrible and it proves that Satoshi can be flawed and it proves that that Bitcoin has become what it is. It doesn't, it doesn't suddenly mean that Bitcoin SV is the right Bitcoin. You know, during the early days, right. you know, he made mistakes. Satoshi needed help. He needed help, Finney and various other people who supported him. And Bitcoin's become what it is because of, you know, a group of people, some form of various forms of kind, kind of consensus. And it doesn't change a thing. It doesn't mean it doesn't, if, if he came out, he wouldn't go, well, actually, then it must be SV is right. It's, it's irrelevant. Yeah. If Craig is Satoshi, then he lost his private keys is what happened. Because <laughs> he would have proven it by sending a transaction by now. So there is a world where someday yeah. he might be able to prove it. Yeah, but but then what? He proves it, then what? The, the, I think somebody like him. Yeah, nothing changes. I think somebody like him lives off the mystery. The fact that he can say it but not prove it and has the doubt. Look, I don't think it's him. I think it's as close to a zero chance as possible. But I just find the whole, I, I like intriguing human stories. And like, I just find it, I've, I've interviewed him, by the way. I've interviewed him and I was totally unprepared for it and not, it's, I think it's one of my poorest interviews. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. But, but the guy, the guy's a fucking idiot. Like a, he's a fucking idiot, and I'll stand by that, and I'll say it to his face. I mean, the time he went on stage and went, "I've got more country money than your whole country," I'm like, "Fuck off, mate! Seriously? Yep. Like you're going to talk to people like that? You're a fucking idiot." But at the same time, watching it is so entertaining. Yes, he's like a dumpster fire. You want to see him do it? Yeah, you want to see it go down. And Vitalik put it well. I think he said, "If Craig Wright were Satoshi, it would change my opinion of Satoshi more than it would change my opinion of Craig Wright." Brilliant. That's actually really funny. Yeah, he tweeted that out, and I was like, "Oh man, that was." Good. We have a section of our weekly show that we call "Shots Fired" because again, we just Ooh. we just mess around and we don't care. So when they do, when somebody tweets something and just burns somebody, and we catch it, we just throw it in there, and it's fun to watch. That's a great burn. So um, we're we're coming up on like an hour here. I like I said, there's always stuff that I don't get to. We've done an hour and twelve. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're, yeah. Pat, we passed an hour. We went all the way past it. Uh, there, I, I, somebody that asked me to ask you about your uh, your trading background because we have such a negative opinion of trading I'm on so the tra- on our show. I'm so terrible at trading. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so terrible. I thought I was brilliant and a genius, and uh, I've, I've got a tweet storm that's pinned on my Twitter. You should read it sometime. I tell the story of how I turned thirty two thousand into one point two million and pretty much lost the lot. Uh, I'm not a trader. I'm retired from trading. I have no intention of trading ever again i'm a businessman i know how to grow businesses i know how to build things that i think products that people like and and i know how to sell so i've somehow managed to stumble across a podcast that people like to sell ads for it and that's what i'm going to do and over time i will acquire and accumulate bitcoin but i tried to trade firstly doing it full time in a bull market it's really easy because you do anything and you make money right when it's not based on luck or timing i think it's a boring job I think looking at charts all day and drawing lines and buying and selling trades is boring. It, it gives me no, I get to do a job now where I read and learn and, you know, talk to cool people like you and, and have these great experiences and travel. And that to me is a fulfilling life. Being a trader to me is no different from standing on a factory line, 
and making widgets. It's it's, it's no interest to in me, and I'm shit at it. And I, I'm a pretty confident person in my own abilities. I think if I'm going to do something, I can do it well. So if I'm going to do a podcast, I'll do it well. And you know, if I was going to be a, I don't know, if I was going to be an interior designer, I think I could do it pretty well. And I would learn because I just learn and I work hard, right? Right. I don't think any amount of hard work uh, that I'm cut out to be a trader. I don't like the way it makes me feel. I don't like the highs and lows. So trading retired. I, yeah, I don't think anybody is. Again, I, we have a very disdainful opinion of that, especially because of the research you see with like regular markets. I don't understand why any trader's intuitive knowledge would be any better than a computer, and nobody has been able to explain that to me. So if a computer algorithm can be programmed to do what you're doing, which is look at the charts and find the points and make decisions on entries and exits, then how do you beat the computer? So it's it's tough because I, I came from a background of professional poker playing and all the highs and lows and all that stuff like I can handle that no problem I mm-hmm. you know losing money is completely I'm completely desensitized to that it doesn't bother me even a little bit but so in theory I could be a great trader if it was something that I could gain an edge at but I've never seen any actual evidence that I could do it so so you ended up losing that must have been a troll from one of our listeners that was like asking about the trading yeah, that's, so. that's without doubt a troll but look um, <laughs> you know I get a lot of people on Twitter every now and again will troll me I'll, I'll put that opinion on they'll go oh yeah you're only doing that because you lost all your money or whatever and it's like okay fair enough it's never really bothered me losing that money if i'd have put my own money in and lost it i think i'd be a lot more upset but it was never really real and my podcast is doing fine revenues are great uh revenues this month yeah. are fantastic uh, i'm less incentivized by money these days anyway so i mean don't get me wrong i'd love a fuckload of money i'd love to have fifty thousand bitcoin and buy a ferrari and not give a shit about money but but i don't care that i haven't got it when i tend to make money i tend to give, give parts of it away anyway so uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't bother me too much. So if you said to me, Pete, go back to December seventeen, you've got your money and you've cashed out, or but you don't get your podcast, or you've got your podcast, but the money be at the same situation you are now. I keep the podcast because I've got something I wake up every day and I love doing. I really, really fucking love doing. It. I can't tell you how much I love doing it. I never really enjoyed trading. I liked I liked looking at Blockfolio and seeing I'd made. $20,000 while I slept, but I didn't actually enjoy the trading. So I wouldn't swap my position out. And think about the hard work you had to do to even get where you are. You're making a ton of revenue this month, but you didn't, you started in 2017. You didn't, you, on your site, that said you didn't make any money till August 2018. No, I didn't make any. And I didn't expect to. I didn't think I needed to. That was the yeah. thing because I, I was a, I was a rich crypto trader. So I didn't think I needed to. And they've kind of swapped over at some point. And I mean, the only way I can prove it is someone could come and try and buy my podcast off me and, and watch me say no. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I mean, if somebody wants to buy our podcast off us, though, we're still we still have made any money, so let's go. <laughs> well, I mean, look, if someone offers me ten million dollars, I'm fucking taking it. But if somebody, I don't, yeah. I wouldn't. So I wouldn't. I mean, it's not worth it. But just for the sake of the argument, if someone offers me a million dollars, I would say no because. Right, I, I, it's not worth it. You'd say no to any reasonable offer. Because well, just okay, just look at it practically okay you give me a million dollars and i've got no podcast okay how long does that million dollars last unless you're frugal that's not gonna last a whole lifetime especially with two kids okay so i'm still gonna have to work again uh, you know i'm still gonna need an income i, I no I, I wouldn't take it no interest yep i i can agree with that especially with some of the other companies that i've been involved in yeah. that kind of thing so uh yep that's a that's a good note to end it on we'll All talk right, about how we would be doing these podcasts for free we would turn down a million dollars to, you know what? If you don't believe me, offer me a million dollars and see what I do. I'm yeah. probably going to take it. But you can, you can go ahead and 
prove me wrong at cryptobasicpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, but listen, look, we've proved a point with this interview, right? Remember at the start, we were saying about prep and no prep. By the way, this has been my favorite. God, no insult to anyone who's interviewed me before, but this has been my favorite one I've ever done. I've really enjoyed this. Oh, awesome. Uh, It's just, I think I could sit with you in Austin and nail 20 beers and just shoot the shit, yes. shit all evening. But we've done this with, you know, you've done no prep and I've done no prep and we've just explored subjects and I'm sure we could do another hour if we wanted to. So I think we proved a point. Absolutely. I And for anybody who didn't listen to our last episode, the only reason this happened is because one of the projects trying to get on the shows sent somebody an email or everybody an email, but they did, they put everybody in the, the CC section instead of doing something through like a MailChimp or something like that. So there was this whole thread of everybody replying to everybody. <laughs> yeah. And it was really funny. Have you been getting your free gifts from Ty Lopez? Oh my God. Yeah. So somebody trolled us and signed us up for Ty Lopez in the middle of that thing. So Fuck. yeah, Ty Lopez has been messaging me every day. It's great. I love Fuck it. Fuck that guy. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I've been reporting each one to spam. I don't know if it does anything, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm so mad that I get signed up for that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I replied, anybody wants to come on the show, I'm happy to have you except whoever started this thread. <laughs> I felt really sorry for her. So because I was the first one who replied and uh, then uh, Brian Legislators tweeted about it and I didn't realize it was a reply to all i done yeah you just said no thanks yeah, i'm not gonna take imagine, the money imagine i said something really embarrassing like yeah i do it but you have to pay me ten thousand dollars in right instant into your career so all those people who say you just take money from these shitty projects you're like no like i didn't even know i was replying to all here I, no, I, and I said no i just you know I'll, I'll be polite it's not for me thank you see you later and yeah and it, obviously it, it went out <laughs> it went out to everyone and uh yeah that was slightly i can't remember where i was going with this oh no so then she wrote to me and she was like, I am so sorry. It was the loveliest email. I felt so bad for her because she's obviously coming and seen all these, well, maybe 50 emails from everyone going back and forth. But uh, I said to her, just just email everyone. No, no, Nobody minds. It's quite funny. Don't, don't worry about it. But I did yeah. feel really sorry for her. Yeah, yeah. She, she, the one that she sent out to everybody was like, "Oh, this is not my finest moment," and all that stuff. So, yeah, it was, yeah, it was really funny. So, yeah, I agree with you. I get absolutely next. Time, I, I wish this was a week ago when you were actually in Austin, so we could have, we could have just done that. Well, listen, I'll be in Austin again. We'll definitely hang out. We'll hook up. We'll talk. Absolutely no problem. And if I can do anything to help you out of your podcast, you just give me a shout. You know, you got my details now. And uh, all right, awesome. Thank you so much for that offer. Thank you so much for the future beers that we're gonna drink. All right, man. We'll just whoever buys beers, whoever making the most on their podcast time i think i think that's fair yeah that seems fair i'll I'll take that and then uh yeah all right well or we can just put money on the table and uh the one who's awake at the end gets to take the money (laughs) that that, i might lose on that one so you know i'll 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 try i'll try my best but maybe 10 years ago it might have been all right right, well listen i love this i really enjoyed it so thank you uh thank you for having me on really really enjoyed it yeah i I, do you want to give any like Find me here, find me there. It's all going to be in the show notes, oh, but if man. you want to say it out loud. Well, if people want to check out my podcast, it's called What Bitcoin Did. Uh, if you Google that, you'll you'll find it. It's uh, whatbitcoindid.com. Uh, my Twitter, if you want to reach out to me, I'm at Peter McCormack. You'll find me there. And yeah, DMs are open. Happy to talk to anyone and uh, happy to listen to any ideas, especially if people got ideas on interesting different shows. I'm more than willing to listen. So yeah, thank you for letting me give a shout out to that. No, th- thank you very much for coming on the show, giving us some star power for once. And, <laughs> Don't say and that. That's so embarrassing. We appreciate it. <laughs> All right, man. We'll take care and uh, I'll speak to you soon. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.